1: I strongly believe that we can learn how to apply faith in our relationship with God. And we can learn that from the father of faith, Father Abraham. Abraham, you study his life, you see that this was a man against the odds. He didn't look at, he didn't look at his wife's womb. He didn't look at his condition. He didn't look at it logically, scientifically, intellectually. He looked at it spiritually.
0: Having settled the issue of our complete inability to save ourselves from sin and the unimaginable gift of God's salvation made available to us through Jesus, Paul turns to discuss the supernatural way we can access our salvation and gives us Old Testament examples of this truth. We are saved by faith in Christ. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will help us understand what faith is and how we can exercise our faith unto salvation. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie as he continues his study in Romans.
1: you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ, you put your faith and trust in him, you are justified. Justified before God. Your record, your file contains no record of sin, but it just shows Christ has paid for your sins. As Christians, don't get me wrong, we do sin. And we all know that. And these sins need to be forgiven. We, we've we been forgiven, we've repented, but as we continue to walk in our lives with the Lord, God is stripping away the things that doesn't look like his son, Jesus, but we mess up all the time, don't we? Pastor Eddie included. But I love 1 John chapter 1, verse nine. We call it the Christian bar soap. This is one of those scriptures you need to put in your bathroom as you wash your hands or in the scrub room. Here it is. John says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He is what? Faithful and just. What does that mean? Every time I come to the Lord, because I blew it all the time. It's a revolving door coming to the altar. But it says here, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And John, the epistle of John, John is writing to Chris. He's not writing to the unbeliever. And so that means every time we come to the Lord, we are forgiven. And you know, times we come to the Lord thinking that he's not going to forgive us. He's going to forgive you. He is faithful. That means every time you ask for forgiveness, he's going to forgive you. We blow it all the time. However, These sins that we commit as children, as believers in Christ, it's not against us, but God does keep a record of our works. It's not saying that we use these works for salvation. God keeps a record of our work, and he does that so that what? He can reward us. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, For God is not unjust to forgive your work. And labor of love which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so there are two seats in heaven. There's the great white throne of judgment for those who have not accepted Jesus Christ or refused Jesus and his salvation. And then there's another seat that's called the bema seat. And you and I, everyone who believes in Christ, will stand before that bema seat. And that bema seat, the Lord's going to determine whether or not you are a gold medalist, a bronze medalist, or you just deserve a silver based on what you've done. The crown that we receive in heaven. Might be a little gem there. Oh, okay, you help with the children's ministry. Here's a gem. All right, you deal with, pastor, he's your friend. Here's three gems. (laughs) (laughs) And So the Lord does keep the records, but as children, his children, he keeps records. But when we get to heaven, what does it say in Revelation chapter four, we're going to cast our crowns before the Lord. That's what we're going to do we just don't deserve him we don't deserve eternal life and we sure don't deserve to be with him eternally and we don't deserve a crown but for us when we sin we ask for forgiveness he forgives us and he remembers our sin no more the scripture says as far as the east is from the west isaiah 43 25 the lord said i even i am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Psalms 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. You know, we forget that when God forgives, he forgets, he's not like us. We have a problem. We'll say, forgive you, yeah, I forgive you, but I won't forget God is not like man. And it's not like God, you know, can't remember anything, but he chooses not to. Because he's not holding anything in to you. That's what true forgiveness is. Something we need to learn. God doesn't remember. And the enemy, he likes to play with you. He likes to say, you know, you blow it all the time. Yeah, yes, for forgiveness. But you know, you and I, you, you this Christian stuff ain't for you. Forget about it. And that's what he does. He brings condemnation don't confuse the two the enemy will bring condemnation the holy spirit brings conviction the bible says in romans chapter 8 there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in christ so there's no condemnation don't let the enemy fool you we want conviction that's healthy for us spiritually healthy if you don't have conviction then you're spiritually dead you can't kick a dead body if you kick a dead body it's not gonna say ouch so spiritually speaking is the same thing. You want the Holy Spirit to say, you know what? You know, Eddie, you know, your attitude um, the other day. Yeah, we're going to do it better next time. How about that? Yes. And, you, you know, he brings conviction. I've done wrong. So, honey, I'm sorry. I didn't take out the garbage. But, you know, now, when you, when you look at that and you realize, you know, how when David sang that song, that Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2. He's singing about the righteousness of God. Now, you understand more the righteousness of God, how simple it is. Does Doesn't it make you want to be like David to sing and praise God and worship him for his righteousness? It's awesome. Verse 9, Paul goes back to Abraham. He says, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, how then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Good question. Paul is a scholar, he's a lawyer. He so wait a minute. If we depend on the law, if we depend on the laws of Moses, and particularly, you know, when the Lord instituted the law of circumcision, Abraham wasn't circumcised. In chapter 15. The Lord said it was accounted to him a righteousness. 14 years later, chapter 17 is when the Lord instituted circumcision. So, wait a minute. Abraham was a circumcised when the Lord said he was righteous. Hmm. It's not by works. 14 years later, the Lord instituted circumcision. 430 years later, here comes Moses with the Ten Commandments. So, before the commandment, before the law, before any anything was instituted, God considered Abraham righteous. No works, not religion, no rules and regulations, no do's and don'ts, no laws. He was righteous. Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. So he was sealed. He was righteous. Righteous before he was circumcised, and it was a seal. What does that mean? It's an outward expression of an inward reality. This is important. Let's look at this. The circumcision is an outward expression cutting of the flesh of an inward reality. So Paul was righteous before he expressed this outward expression of this inward reality. Just the same, you and I. Okay, because my point is, you can't be baptized and then get saved. You have to be saved and then be baptized. So you're saved, you believe, you've been justified, and because of it, this outward expression of an inward reality is done in baptism. You're expressing this inward reality outwardly. Now, because you believe in Jesus Christ, you're justified. Before baptism, you don't go to heaven by baptism. And so that means, just like the man that was on the cross, I just love, i just so grateful for that story. I really am. Because the man on the cross was next to Jesus and said, Jesus, you know, when you get to paradise, remember me. And Jesus said, for this day, you and me shall be in paradise. Nobody said, hey, wait a minute, Jesus. He's not baptized. Wait a minute. I can't go to... He wasn't baptized. Romans, can you just take him off the cross for a minute? Pour some water on him. We're going to baptize him. Put him back up. No. It didn't happen. When you get to heaven, there will be millions, maybe billions of people who are in heaven and that were not baptized. It's not because they didn't want to be disobedient because we should be. Obedient is an ordinance of God. It's one of the things that God tells us to do because we identify with the Lord. But there's going to be a lot that just got saved by the the last breath. And who are we to say that didn't go to heaven because they weren't baptized? So you see the same way Paul is painting a picture here. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. That's you and I. Though they are uncircumcised, the righteousness might be imputed to them also. As the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. In other words, father Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith and those who are circumcised and those who are not circumcised. He's father Abraham. Now Paul still has the Jews in mind. And to the Jews, they try to work their way into heaven by way of the law. There's still some in the courtroom that though they've seen the witness of Father Abraham and King David, there's still some in the courtroom, you know, some of those sarcastic guys. And will say, okay, Paulie, that was Abraham. But we will hold on to the laws of Moses. We have to keep the laws of Moses. So Paul has something to say for them. Verse 13, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. God's covenant, God's promise to Abraham was not only for Abraham, not only for the Jews, but for all of us who believe. And that was what the Lord had promised to Abraham. He said this to Abraham in Genesis 22, verse 18. The Lord said, in your seed All the nations, plural, not nation, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All the nations, and he said the nation of Israel in Canaan. No, he said all the nations in the world will be blessed because of your obedience. Your example of being a man of faith, believing, he was raised where they worship idols there was no one to take Abraham under his wing and say, listen, can I share, can I talk to you about God? Abraham wasn't even a Jew. He wasn't a Hebrew. He was a Gentile. But because he believed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void to the promise made of no effect. If the promise of God, are only for those who obey and do the law, then faith is void. Your faith is useless. Who cares about your faith? It's not necessary. You got to do the work. You got to work your way to heaven. You don't need faith. You just need the law. And so if you want to do it the hard way, Paul is saying, He's talking to those guys that say, well, that's Abraham. I want to do it by the law. You want to do it by the law? Here's what's in store for you. If you're going to live by the law, you're going to die by the law. Verse 15, because the law brings about what? Wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's your father, he's my father. That was the plan of God. God knew who to pick. He knew it was Abraham, because Abraham would be a father of many nations. And he knew that there was gonna be a people who's gonna put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And there was gonna be a man that the Lord's gonna call to set the example of what faith ought to be. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. The Abrahamic covenant, the multiplying, the descendants, of the stars of the sky. goes back to Genesis 17, verse 5. The Lord said, no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Quoted over and over again to Abraham. Now, Abraham is thinking... (laughs) I can't be a father to one. How am I going to be a father to many nations? I'm 99.9 years old. My wife is 90.9 years old. How is that going to be? He never questioned. He believed. That's the incredible thing. He believed. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who has believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which... Do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, this Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Again, Abraham was old, Sarah was old. You know, I mean, they both were trying to have a child for years and years. Abraham considered his body dead and that he no longer can perform as a young man and Sarah, her womb was dead. But we go back to Genesis 15. And so he pleaded with the Lord when he says, you have given me no offspring and need one born in my house is my heir. And God tells him, I'm making you a father of many nations. Now, why would Abraham, even though he's questioning, why would Abraham ask the Lord that question? I think there was faith in it too. If the Lord should tarry and if I live to be 99, 70, I'm not gonna ask the Lord, Lord, why are you not making me a father? Why would I ask the Lord? I'm 70 years old. I dealt with three girls. I'm afraid to get fourth. No, just kidding. I love my girls. Three girls! Three weddings to pay for. Thank God there's no tradition. I love my girls, but think about it. Just asking the Lord about a child—why would that even be a conversation? You're 99. Why would that be a conversation with God? I think he believe. He can't even have one child. He's going to worry about that. Verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. He knew he was an old man, but he said he didn't consider his body already dead and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Didn't consider that. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Wow, looking at the the odds. He was strengthened in faith and being fully convinced that what he had promised, the Lord had promised him, that the Lord, He will also be able to perform. Abraham is about 100, Sarah 90. Regardless of the challenges, regardless of the odds, Abraham's faith was strong because of the promise the Lord made to him. He believed in God, and it was accounted for him as righteousness. All he needed to increase his faith in God was God, God's word, God's promise. That's all I need is your word, Lord. You say you make me a father of many nations? I'm a hundred. I believe it. Let's go for it. Verse 22, Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. You know, I strongly believe that we could learn how to apply faith in our relationship with God. And we could learn that from the father of faith, Father Abraham. Abraham, you study his life. You see that this was a man against the odds. He didn't, at, he didn't look at his wife's womb. He didn't look at his condition. He didn't look at it logically, scientifically, intellectually. He looked at it spiritually. He believed in God, believed in his word. And that's why he's called the father of faith. Many times we like to deal with logic. Faith and logic do not mix. You either believe or you don't. You start applying logic, then guess what happened? Then it's not really God, it's logic. There's a problem. You know, we can't live our lives in faith with logic. I wonder if I'm going to pay my rent. Well, I got a hundred and some thousand dollars. My rent is only 200. Yeah, I have faith. How about when your rent or mortgage is about 15, $2,000 and all you have is 500? Now you're on your knees crying. Lord, miracles. That's faith. There's nothing impossible for God. The same faith Abraham had in believing in the Lord that was accounted to him as righteousness is the same faith that we have and God's accounted for us as righteousness. It's the same faith. Well, verses 1 to 22, the first 22 verses, Paul has proved this case. He brought in the two witnesses, Abraham and David. And they proved that God is faithful and they've been justified before God, before the law, before works. Now verses 23 and 25, Paul gives us his conclusion. Verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone. Was it for Abraham's sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for who? Us, you and I. It shall be imputed to us who believes in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. We have that inheritance. What did you inherit for Father Abraham? Faith. That's what we inherit. Faith, where do we get it from? Our Father Abraham. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Verse 25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. He was delivered, put on the cross because of our offense, because of our sin. Who put Jesus on the cross? It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the Romans. I put Jesus to the cross. You put Jesus to the cross because he came for our defense. And because of him and our belief in him, our faith in him, we stand justified. If you put your faith in Christ, you are justified before God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth, whoever put their faith in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life.
2: I'm
0: Romans 5:8 says, "But God demonstrated his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us." This incredible truth applies to us even today. We didn't do anything to warrant God's acceptance and love of us. He saw us while we were still sinners and loved us despite that. Would you like to know more about what that means for you? Please give us a call at 570-296-7367. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church family you can be a part of. The believers you'll encounter there will help you grow in your faith and offer you support in every situation. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania area, We'd love to have you come join us here in person at Calvary Chapel of Milford. For service times and more information, visit RunningTheRaceRadio.com. If you'd like to listen to more messages from Running the Race, Tracy has more information on how.
2: Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor Eddie, go to RunningTheRaceRadio.com and then click on the radio page. There you'll find today's message and many
0: more. Thanks, Tracy. Join us next time for the continuing verse-by-verse study of Romans with Pastor Eddie Panera, right here on Running the Race.